Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Susanna. That is Susanna Constantine. And this is my wardrobe malfunction. The podcast about, oh, for goodness sake, come on, you must know by now. This is episode 52, if you're a new listener. The moment you finish this one, go back to the others and you'll hear Nicola Benedetti on Three Point Cut, Nal Rogers on denim jackets, and Jess Gillum on jaw tighteners. But on to today's guest, who is an award-winning saxophonist, broadcaster, author, charity campaigner, and entrepreneur. Yolanda Brown. My God, my guests are so bloody talented. It makes me sick. Anyway, let's crab the handles, open my wardrobe doors and find out what's inside. Today, I am very, very excited because the not because she's the most incredible person, but she's an, and talented and gifted because you just seem such bloody good fun. So I am with Aww. the multi-award-winning saxophonist, tick, broadcaster, tick, author, tick, charity campaigner, tick, entrepreneur, Yolanda Brown. How are oh, you, darling? That is the best introduction ever. Thank you so much. I'm very well. I'm very well. Thank you. Can I ask you, how old are you? I I have stopped counting at 38. Are you really? I'm 39 this year, 40 next year. Yeah. No, you look 16. <laughs> oh, well, see, this is why we need to meet every day because that just makes me feel brilliant. <laughs> I mean, you must have kind of Vaseline or something across your nose. You look so young. Oh, thank you very much. I'm glad for it now, actually. In the early yeah. days, I mean, I couldn't buy a pair of scissors without getting ID'd, you know. Um, I remember going to Staples and they asked for ID for me to buy You're some scissors kidding. to do my daughter's homework, you know. Oh so, my um, God. but now, I'm learning to embrace it and yeah just 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 take it in I did find a great hair during lockdown mind so oh, really oh <laughs> poor you I I've know. got thousands and actually I got them the worst thing Yolanda is I I found them I got gray eyebrow I found like wow. really whiskery you know yeah. hard gray eyebrow a gray eyelash no, and I don't know if you possible. get little bristles on your chin, Whiskers. but I do, which I have to pluck. And some of those have gone grey as well. And grey oh, cubes. Wow. There is <laughs> there is no hiding then. <laughs> this is what I'm in store for. This is great. I just got one in my curlies here. <laughs> but my darling, so you've you've achieved so much. And Aww. you, you know, obviously as a musician, you know, you've grown and grown. Yeah. Um, but with all the other stuff that you do, how do you find the time? And it is the anything you don't do listen I think the whole journey has been an independent one it wasn't like in the beginning a huge record label came and swiped me up and you know the rest was history it has been hard graft I'm not gonna lie you know throughout um, building an audience trying to create my own lane in terms of the genre of music that I want to play all of that 
And so when opportunities come, I've learned to embrace them, whatever they are, even if I've never thought of doing that before. And because of that, uh, this career really has just spanned and grown and grown. I just tend not to say no, just find a way to figure it out. And actually, I enjoy that. It means no two days are the same. Um, I'm always learning all the time on every single job and everything interlinks in the end music and education and giving back is the common thread and then after that we're just all about entertainment and having fun so do you think I mean did you start with um you know the writing and the tv work that you do did you fall into that or were you kind of did you do that consciously thinking okay well if the music doesn't work I have another career path I think I always loved the idea of presenting. Um, in fact, now having to think about it a lot more and doing more interviews, I remember I, I actually studied media as an A-level. Um, and I used to be on the radio show. We had a high school radio station that would broadcast across the school. And I used to have a show on there. So now that I think about it, it probably was always in there. But I never saw it as a profession. I was never introduced to it in that way. Um, and even music, I wasn't introduced to music in that way either. I was doing a PhD in management science and then sort of joined a band. The band fell away. And then I just sort of stopped my PhD and became a musician. So the transition has been very different. Um, but I do love being in front of an audience. I love communicating with people. And I think being on stage with a saxophone or being in front of a camera and, and reading script or remembering script down the lens is the same thing to me. It's all performing. So um, it all came about, I was uh, performing at the proms, playing the saxophone at the gospel prom, and they'd asked me to do a film, a VT for Proms Extra. And from then it just snowballed and, and grew and grew and gigs get gigs is my motto. And <laughs> it's still rolling. <laughs> I mean, you're quite unique in the way that, um, you know, your music is pretty sophisticated, but you you are so approachable as a person. And especially, you know, with musicians with a jazz slant yeah. are always kind of fucked up. And, you know, they're either alcoholics, drink, drug addicts. I mean, I've just been watching this when we were when we were kings. Yeah. About Muhammad Ali. Yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> you look at it and then you look at someone like, you know, James Brown. Exactly. And, um, you know, various or Billy, um, Johnny Cash, but, I mean, no, he's country, yeah, but, yeah. you know, it's got quite a dark reputation, yeah. jazz, but you're just so effervescent and open. I think that's been a, the interesting journey through it all. I mean, I never imagined that I would be a musician growing up, so I don't think I've necessarily studied musician stories and probably good that I didn't um, or even fully went into transcribing people's solos, which I know a, a lot of that's how you learn jazz, you know. But at one point I realized, you know, I was reading a Charlie Parker solo once and I thought he was on heroin at the time of playing this. How am I, a 16 year old Yolanda, going to really play it like him? And I think that was when I realized I have to make music that I can sell, music that I can play time and time again without having any other influences, because I don't want to think, oh, maybe I should try heroin to get that solo out, I, you know? <laughs> I just think, you know, you can only be yourself. And with that, it did lead me to sort of mix reggae, jazz and soul. Maybe not jazz enough for some, maybe not reggae enough for some, but it's me. And I'm just really glad that I found an audience that wants to come to the concerts that follow me around the world. And um, that allows me not to have to think about having a crutch any other way. I can just turn up and be me, whether I've had a good day or a bad day. They'll, they'll take what I have, which is an absolute blessing. 
Well, you are unique and you spell your name in a very yeah. unique way. So where does the capital D on Yolanda yes. come from? Well, this was in the early days. I remember sort of write-ups if I was ever part of, I used to play in a lot of comedy shows in the very early days. Uh, so a very non-musical audience. I would play sort of in, in the interlude after the intermission. And sort of journalists would write up the show and, you know, you, you've seen the comedians' names and, oh, and Yolanda played the saxophone and it just all gets swallowed up. And I've noticed that having the capital D allows me to stand out in the crowd. It allows me to stand out editorially. Um, for me personally, it's nice to have that split. Yolanda Brown is my name. So if I'm speaking about Yolanda Brown with a small D, that's mum Yolanda, wife Yolanda, sister, daughter, you know, and capital D, I can go to any meeting. We talk about brand Yolanda and I don't feel, you know, that it's an attack on me, which is absolutely perfect. <laughs> so. so when you sign in a check, mm. you don't do a capital D, you just do a small D. Exactly. If I'm signing a check or if I'm writing to my daughter's school, that's a small D. Uh, if I'm writing emails or signing an autograph, capital D, yeah. <laughs> Oh my goodness, because you've got two daughters, haven't you? I have, seven-year-old Jemima and 15-month-old Adelphi. Yeah. 15 months? <laughs> lockdown baby, I know, on top of all of it, she is a true lockdown child. In fact, just today we're going to go and look at a nursery for the first time and she's never actually seen other children. She thinks everybody's giants and are bigger than her, um, so it's going to be a shock for her, I think. <laughs> Oh my god! But weren't you weren't you in Australia for a bit of um, lockdown? Yes. So yeah, we were touring in Australia when lockdown was announced. We'd done two weeks. We had one week left, and we were meant to be flying to Sydney, and everything just shut down. We had to fly the band home. But I had a six-year-old and a six-week-old in tow, plus my mum and dad and husband. And so the whole touring party went out. You see, the the whole tour was booked before I pregnant with Adelphi and I really hate cancelling I know that some people you know they spend their hard-earned money sometimes it's, it might be for a birthday party or an office get-together and I just hate that to think oh Yolanda's not coming you know it just feels weird and so uh, my agent or the whole time through the pregnancy was saying can you do it can you do it and I was performing up to eight and a half months pregnant I think in this picture I was at uh, Jules Holland's Hoot Nanny uh, with an eight and a half month bump. But, you know, I want to play with Rick Astley. Of course I want to duet with Rick Astley, whatever it is. And so, yeah, I thought I'm going to push, push really hard to do this tour. And so, yeah, Adelphi was six weeks old, bless her, on that flight. She did so well, slept and, uh, yeah, she was brilliant. And um, then it got cancelled. So I pushed kind of for nothing. <laughs> So did you did you stay out? Do you have to stay out there or did you get back with the band? Uh, we sent the band back straight away. Um, then we yeah. had sort of a, a week extra. We took a sort of a week in Dubai. But really, we should have just come home because I was just spending the whole time watching the news. Like, are we going to be allowed back in? How does this work? <laughs> you know. Uh, so, yeah, we had a week in Dubai and then we came back. Yeah, stressful. I saw that, the clip of you and Rick Astley oh, on yeah. YouTube. and. <laughs> I, I, he's, I've heard so many lovely things about him. Apparently he's just the nicest person and he's got a hell of a voice. He really is. But, I mean, you outplay him. Oh, bless your heart. No, he allowed me to. He, he was down and bowing while I was soloing. And I was like, inside, I said, like, thank you so much, Rick, because I'm not getting down there because I won't get back up. <laughs> it's amazing because you, you know, really gifted musicians, you know, instrumental musicians. Mm. So take someone like, um, Elton John, for yes. example, he the way he plays his piano, you hear it, it couldn't be anyone else. Yeah. And you're the same because your sax, it's like you're it's speaking to you. It's, you don't need lyrics because you understand what you're trying to say. 
with the way you play. That's so kind. That's what I'm after. I mean, my first EP in the early days was called Finding My Voice. And it literally is that. I just thought, I can only play as me and this sound that comes out, it is my voice. And that's how I want to communicate. And uh, that means a lot to me because that's what I'm after. <laughs> no, it's, it's uh, I mean, that that's rare. Oh. I, I mean, I love, I'm obsessed with music and I love music. And it's, you know, to hear that was, is it gave me goosebumps. Oh, I'm glad. So, um, <laughs> You're the real deal, honey. Oh, but also, <laughs> what you, I mean, how the hell, Yolanda, <laughs> do you play in stilettos? Listen, that that for me is, I don't know, it gives me a posture, actually. And I've really missed not wearing heels for this past year because um, I find that when I get on stage, I'm quite small in stature. When, every time I meet people, I say, you're a lot smaller in person. I'm like, oh, thank you take that as a compliment but um it does make me feel taller and it makes me feel present and so I feel that I play better in heels um I do move around the stage a lot I love to dance around and move to the music um but yeah there's something elegant about it and I mean you are puffing into a hunk of metal at the end of the day you know what I mean it's quite a macho thing to do so it just makes me feel a little bit more elegant and sassy yeah, well, I just, I'm just amazed that you can stand up in that right. for so long. You well, know, hopefully I can fat. when we get back on stage. <laughs> yeah, you won't, you'll struggle. I'll I'm struggle. sure you'll struggle to begin with. But you were born in Barking. Yes. Is that right? To Jamaican parents. And you were surrounded by music. So who, was it your dad or your mum who were the kind of musical aficionados? Yeah, my dad. Or both. My dad, he yeah. should have had or should have a radio show, really. He doesn't play any musical instruments, but he, he plays everything. So, of course, from reggae, you've got skia, mento, all the folk stuff as well. Um, and then through to opera, classical folk, jazz, country, everything under the sun. There's records that just lie in the living room. And then you've got um, tapes above them and then CDs. And now he's uh, fully into the Spotify and streaming and all that and sharing me, my text message. My whole conversation with my dad is just links to music. Um, and I guess that's where it comes from. And also that's where the love of different genres comes from. So then when it came to be a musician and it felt like the critics were asking me to choose a genre, you know, I couldn't. I, I just love being able to recreate those family moments of one day I do want to have, you know, sometimes have an orchestra behind me, which is beautiful. And at the same time, have a steel pan band there as well. And I feel that music should just be music. And I do thank my dad for that, really. Um, he's an aficionado for sure. And do your, your daughters, um, do they love listening to music? They do. And not pushed at all. I think I definitely made that conscious decision uh, when Jemima was in my tummy and obviously I was touring as well she was moving around and dancing to the music that I was playing and I just thought I want her to just experience it for herself if she doesn't want to play an instrument she doesn't have to let her just explore and she just loves it she knows how to make a playlist she's got Gem Gem style playlist on Spotify and if you look at it she's got K-pop she loves BTS through to James Brown through to um, some classical music who's in there she's got me in there as well which is lovely but she will literally just play all these different styles of music pops in there as well and I think that is beautiful and that came sort of naturally from her Latin jazz is in there as well and then also she plays the piano she started the saxophone in lockdown and then she came back from school just a few months ago saying she wants to learn the cello and so as a parent and what I always encourage other parents to do is if you're able to 
just keep fueling that that passion and that inspiration. She might not play them all in the end, but just to want to try them is a beautiful thing. So yeah, at the moment I'm chasing around trying to find teachers and instruments uh, just to sort of fuel those passions that she has. Music is obviously your first passion. Yes, I I would imagine, and to see that kind of grow and blossom in your child is a really special thing. It is. I think also I'm able to learn from my mistakes because I was a a little bit of a rebel growing up. So I played the saxophone from about the age of 13. Um, I played the the, the piano and drums from age six, moving up. And when it got to the saxophone, I just loved playing it. I was able to make a sound straight away, play along with the radio. And so I stopped my lessons because I didn't want to do grades. I was a bit of a rebel. And so now I'm saying to my daughter, you know, just do both. You can jam with me anytime, jam with your friends, but you do need to have that technical background. Because even now at grand old age of 38, I'm like Googling, what does this scale mean? You know, (laughs) that shouldn't happen now. Um, So yeah, I'm just going to correct my mistakes with her, I think. So when you you little rebel as a child and did was this rebellious side reflected in how you dressed? Hmm, maybe. You're making me think about it now. I was a tomboy growing up. So I just I mean when all my friends are into the lip gloss and the you know the little tops and whatever I was in baggy baggy tracksuits, baggy tracksuit tops. Um I remember when I graduated to skinny jeans and like all my friends were like, "Oh my gosh, what's happened to Yolanda?" <laughs> But I absolutely just loved anything baggy. I didn't want anything figure hugging. I don't know why. I I don't know if it was comfort or if I was self-conscious. But um, luckily, my parents just allowed me to dress as I wanted to, uh, even to family functions. Every so often, they'd get me into a dress. But I was really a tomboy. I was in the army cadets, the Cub Scouts, not the Brownies. uh, Fully, yeah, fully tomboy growing up. (laughs) Oh, my God. And then, okay, let's keep on the tomboy thing. Yeah. Because you wanted to be or you were a a racing driver yeah if you'd have asked me when I was in my teenage years what do you want to be when you grow up if I was allowed to speak like blue sky thinking racing driver was the answer I'd give but I had no channels I I mean we used to do my parents have a place in Menorca and there's an amazing go-kart track there and we'd all whenever anyone came to visit we used to go for six weeks of the year every summer and I would just be on the tracks the whole time that they had to drive us 40 minutes to get to this track in Swinadella and um, I'd always win and I didn't know if it was because everybody else was really rubbish or if I had a natural affinity to the car there was just something about moving with the vehicle and finding your lines and um, I really loved racing when I turned I want to say 21 uh, I had a track day given to me as a birthday present. So I went to Brands Hatch and I was finally able to get into a single seater car. And oh my God, even then my dream was still, could this happen? You know, there must be a women's women's league out there. And, you know, but only when I got to record my first music video for my first album, April Showers May Flowers, I recorded a, a music video in a Formula 3 car, single seater car um, for Tokyo Sunset. And that was my first time thinking, yes, this is great. Plugged it on uh, BBC Breakfast. And as I came off the set, Ron Dennis had emailed my manager to say, you know, I want to meet Yolanda. Can she play at my birthday party? From there, um, I sort of uh, met different racing teams. He brought me on stage as the Lewis Hamilton of the jazz world. And uh, my dreams, honestly, Susanna, they were just coming true. (laughs) And I started actually then building up my my time on the track and working towards an arts license. So it will never be my profession, but I love driving. Yeah, no, I I agree. I'm with you. I, I mean, I've never done it on a you know a racetrack yeah. as such, except in a go kart. But f- 
my I think one of my happy places is in the car. Yeah. And I wonder, I mean, you know, I've got like, I mean, I've, I've got 16 points at the moment. And I'm hoping that they've sort of been. I've had a totting up ban as well. <laughs> we like driving. It's going to happen. It's we, probability. Yeah, uh, it's going to happen. <laughs> but, um, but I, you know what I think it is, is I think it's because I can't look at my phone. Mm, yeah. And so there's that break from. So, you know, yeah. yeah, looking at your phone the whole time. It is that, and having the open road. I'm not. I don't really like city driving much, but um, mm. I love it when if there's ever motorway driving or if I have to go to a shoot, they'll always say, "You're driving, aren't you?" My agent, like, you're going to drive. Just send me the petrol money. <laughs> you know, you know, you're going to drive. <laughs> and actually, I'm coming to you today, having just had my car stolen from my drive um, over the weekend. Honestly, uh, I haven't quite got over it yet, but. Um, yeah, went outside with my saxophone on my back, ready to go to my studio on Saturday morning, and the car wasn't there. No. And then checked the CCTV, and someone at half past midnight, I'm sure that's like daylight robbery, has used one of those signal things to amplify the signal and just driven the car off the off the drive. Was he wearing a bell? Could you see him, or was he wearing? You can a- see them, but just not not close up enough. We've sent all the all the things to the police. I can't and everything. believe it. it what horrible. kind of car was it? Well, I had my Volvo XC90. Our design, Hello. sports. Oh, I know. We drive the same car. Really? <laughs> yes, we drive the so same So you feel car. my pain. I mean, that car is like driving Volvo. a tank, isn't it? <laughs> it's just, it's a beautiful car. I just, yeah. It, yeah, it's so sad. It's my baby. Yeah. yeah. Oh, my so God. So you know I how I feel. I, I know how you feel. I can't I know. believe it. My 69 oh. plate XC90. And, um, yes, I will be getting another one and... I've now got all of the precautions in place for how they won't take the next one. But I love that. I love that car. Absolutely. That's how I feel. How dare you? I worked very hard for it. But yes, absolutely. I still love driving. They won't break my spirit. Yeah. So, okay. So. Yeah, and I, I'd be scared to take your car, I've got to say. I would be, they're very lucky they didn't come across you. And I wondered if, you know, moving in the world of jazz, which is, let's face it, a sort of much more of a male-orientated yeah, world, yeah. Um, was it hard to get noticed and respected within that? Yeah, I think, you know, I did have to grow my own audience. I'm aware of that. I didn't study the instrument, as I shared with you. I didn't come up through a conservatoire or playing in somebody else's band, which is the natural channel into the industry, especially in the jazz world. So I have had to sort of prove myself, if you like, or not. For me, I've, I've just always said, this is the music I love to create. I play the saxophone. It has an affinity to jazz, but let's listen, just listen to the music for what it is. And I think over the years, it's been, it's been a long time being in the industry now. They're kind of like, you're still here. Okay. You know, we'll speak about you now. (laughs) Um, But I think along the way, it's been the audience really that has, has made, made the the platform for me and, and made them not, be able to not look away, not be able to look away, if that's the way to say it. Um, wherever I go in the world, I'm honestly so thankful to the audiences. They voted for me for the MOBOs in the very beginning, back in 2008, 2009, and it was a public voted category. So the most votes wins, no matter who you're up against. And I'm always in debt to the audience for that. And then continuing throughout the world, they come to the concerts, they sell out the shows. And um, yeah, that for me is what gets me up in the morning. I'm not there for anyone to tell me that they like the music or, you know, critics to say, here's five stars for your album. That's not what drives me. It is for the listeners. 
A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Mm, and I, th- I guess that gives you a sense you know having that mindset gives you a sense of freedom it's it's you know you're you're not tied you know you're almost you're doing it for yourself primarily which then translates to the audience and you know again that's quite rare yeah it's a blessing and I know it's not always easy but I think with the, the great management team that I have we've really just said well I mean in the early days I couldn't even get booked you know they wouldn't book me into the venue so we did it ourselves and you know starting off booking Mermaid Theatre in Blackfriars from 2007 and selling that out then we booked Cadogan Hall then we booked the Indigo 2 at the O2 Arena um, wow. and these are Yolanda Brown headline shows and the only way that could happen was for me and my team to do it ourselves and literally I'd have a hoodie on doing flyering back in the day flyering outside of venues but that's all the stuff that helps to, to build up the brand if you like mm. is there is the indigo uh, um is that the biggest venue you've played in as a yolanda brown concert oh no uh, royal festival hall would be bigger oh. as a yolanda brown Excuse headline me. or barbican yeah. um so that was kind of for my flagship shows here in london those were my big ones st david's hall in um in wales and we played the Liverpool Philharmonie as well. So we've I've done some lovely venues in my own right as Yolanda Brown, but also being able to play in other people's shows. So I've played the O2 Arena um, uh, with a full packed audience and just me on saxophone. It just feels so beautiful and intimate. Same Royal Albert Hall, you know, beautiful stages all around the world. And do you prefer the kind of sweaty, intimate jazz club, which, uh, you know, I find like Ronnie Scott's yeah. so sexy. Yeah. You just feel like you, you know, you want to jump on someone. Do you prefer that mm. or do you prefer the bigger venues? It's an interesting one, actually, because when I play somewhere like Royal Albert Hall, for example, even though there's potentially 6,000 people in that audience, it feels so intimate. You almost can see everybody's faces still. So I still get that jazz club feel, especially how I set up my band around me. It still feels like that. So I'm always trying to create that intimacy, no matter what venue it is. But yeah, there is there is something about the, the jazz club. I remember the last gig we did in Australia and my, my agent had called me and said, you know, do you still want to do the show? Grand Prix across the road has just been cancelled. We were in Melbourne. I said, I know, Grand Prix's cancelled. Can you imagine? But no, I'll still do it. And um, it was sold out. It was a jazz club. And you could just, like, everyone was just thinking Armageddon's coming, you know, it's like everyone knows we're not going to be out again. And it was just such a beautiful thing. And I still remember still being able to see to the back of the room, everyone smiling, dancing. There is something special about about the jazz club for sure. Yeah, I, I can imagine. You've played with um, 
some amazing people, Billy Ocean and just who's who who's the kind of uh, who is your musical icon? I know mm. you you love so many yeah. different genres, but if there was one person you could play sax with, who would that be? I think Alicia Keys. I think I'd love okay. to do a duet with Alicia Keys. Um, Alicia Keys or Sting. I know two worlds apart, but <laughs> um, I could just imagine performing. And I love that sort of trade-off when you do a duet with somebody. So I think it would have to be someone that, you know, really wants to get into it. So I think Alicia Keys would do that and Sting also, one of my two mm. favourites. Good choices. <laughs> and um, is it for you, is it as important for your clothes to be as expressive as your music? Yeah, I think this has, been, this has been a journey. For a woman as well, it's, it's very difficult because they're always looking at what you're wearing. Um, you know, a guy can turn up in a suit, tie on, no tie, no one really cares. And for a lady, you go on and probably the first thing they're saying before you've said hi is just quick up and down. Do you know what I mean? Um, in the very early days, it was always, I was always in a dress, always in either an A-line, A-line cut dress or sort of a, a straight dress. Um, and I, I used to tailor make those. So I'd pick the material and it was always kind of Ankara, African print dresses. And then I would make them into this modern style that was very sort of figure hugging. And what, you uh, made them yourself? Well, I had a tailor. I had a tailor. Oh, I'm not, okay. yeah, not quite that, that skillful yet. Oh but um, I, <laughs> my tailor knew me very well. And actually as well, I still do like tailor-made clothes because I still have to wear the sling around my neck that holds the saxophone. As I say, I move around a lot, so I get very hot and sweaty, so I don't want anything really tight. I always like my arms out, so I've got some air to breathe. And I need that freedom of movement, so it's not distracting for the music. So having things tailor-made has always been a preference of mine. Um, I'm trying to think. I think probably when I had my daughter, I moved back to my skinny jeans. Uh, <laughs> and uh, sort of skinny jeans and top was kind of my look with my heels. And um, even then, I used to tailor make my tops because I just wanted to be able to be free to move. And thankfully, even doing Jules Holland's Hootenanny, um, this sort of military waistcoat that I was wearing, yeah. um, I have two of them or three of them that have tailor-made for me um, and just feel really nice and I can pick what top I wear underneath um, so yeah style is important what do you call it Jules Holland super nanny Hootenanny. Oh, Hootenanny. Yes, it's the we New Year's Eve. Super Nanny. <laughs> super and I was nanny, like, yeah. what the fuck is That's she That's a show waiting about? to happen, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Jules Holland, the Super Nanny. <laughs> <laughs> I think you'd be a good babysitter, to be fair. You just play piano oh, to the my. kids. <laughs> I mean, you've had all your, you know, you've won your MOBO awards. And then in, did I read in 2011, you played for... Um, the president of Russia, Medvedev. That's right, yes. Yeah. yeah. How did that come about? It, I think it was because of the MOBOs. Obviously, you get to accept your award on, on BBC One at the time and get to make your speech. And, you know, I, it was literally after that, um, my agent got a call to say, a Russian president wants you to come and play. You, you're up for that? It's like, yeah, definitely. And it was all very sort of security, high security. I couldn't take my band because you can't have electric instruments inside there. To accompany me. So where did you go to Russia? Yeah, went to, went to St. Peter's. Uh, went to St. Petersburg, and I played in the uh, Hermitage in the Winter Palace. And um, it was, I mean, it's so ornate. I played half of the song looking at the ceiling. I think it was just like gold dripping everywhere. And um, to accompany me, I was um, performing with uh, their 
the the quartet, the, the string quartet that always plays for dignitaries uh, called the Terem Quartet. And um, I thought it was just going to be a normal string quartet the way we have it here. And I got there and it was all folk instruments. So an accordion, a balalaika, massive, <laughs> a massive double bass in the size of a massive triangle in the shape of a triangle. And so we got to um, rehearse just sort of the day before. And we did sort of a nice jazz standard that everyone knows, Autumn Leaves. And I said to him, can I teach you some reggae? Because that's really what I play. And so in the end, we uh, we played a, a cover of an Ernest Randling track called Surfing and made some Russian reggae. And after that, they were so into it. I mean, the bass guy was strumming away, broke one of his strings in the performance. It was really into it. And uh, they invited me to their recording studio the next day to record it. It was a lovely, lovely experience. And they looked after me so well. And St. Yeah. Petersburg is beautiful. Yeah, I was at the top of my um, bucket list yeah, in Petersburg. really nice. Apparently it takes, to see every item, everything on display in the Hermitage takes three years. I'd heard that, yeah. And I can yeah. imagine, I mean, the ceiling alone took me the whole performance. <laughs> it w- And it would be beautiful. I didn't get to see yeah. everything, but yeah, real nice. Yeah. Oh, and then you also, I mean, listen, you know, it's just an endless stream of dignitaries for you. <laughs> and you performed at Buckingham Palace yeah for her majesty <laughs> how was that well and what did you wear because you couldn't yes. wear your little yeah what did you wear well it worked perfectly for me I didn't get to perform I was invited to a reception oh, which okay. was very lardy da mm-hmm. and I couldn't take a guest so it was me by myself and we had people perform to us she was treating people in the the music industry who'd been making waves in music and sort of treating them for a moment and so she made her way around the room and made her way to me a nice firm handshake I was very surprised with that and actually genuinely interested in what I'd been doing and thanking me for representing our country so well which was really really nice Um, and I think that was those moments of recognition you know it doesn't have to be from your peers or from the industry that was a really lovely moment for me and actually that's where I met Jules Holland I met Jamie Cullum there for the first time as well and all being Yamaha artists we got on and exchanged numbers which was lovely Fantastic. Oh, what and did what I wear? wear? Sorry, the, yeah, the ultimate question. Yeah. Well, I, I did check the uh, in the invitation. It says day dress for ladies, which was perfect because that was the style that I used to wear, the A-line uh, dress. Um, and so, oh gosh, oh, it's a lovely turquoise piece with a matching bolero. I can't remember who it was. It was Karen, it Mir- Karen hid- Millen. Karen Millen. It sounds it was, it was, hideous. It, it, <laughs> no, it, it was lovely. Hideous. It was be And the material... <laughs> the material just you know and it was just after William and Kate got married so I went through the arch and I felt very felt very regal that day oh yes <laughs> I cannot imagine you in, that <laughs> in my heels as well of course don't forget the heels second yeah you had your heels because and with your because your hair's so cool it's like you have this kind of almost oh, my, my rockabilly style yes I call yeah, it a frohawk yeah frohawk it's so cool it's so cool and then you had tea with her majesty and Prince Philip, yes. dearly departed yes. Prince Philip. Was that kind of an intimate or was it part of the whole event? It was still part of the event, but we actually got sort of a moment. We were had a special ticket and we were shepherded along and then we actually got to have a few moments with them both again after she'd walked the room. And um, considering she'd already spoken to me, she still held a really lovely conversation and, and Philip as well. And uh, yeah, it was just, I think for me, living here in Great Britain and how much we put on the royal family. It was just lovely to to get that that link with them. Um, and it does mm. sort of rest in my heart really, really well. Mm. Yeah. Well, clearly you deserved it. And then, so you had your, you've got your heels. And how many pairs of high heels do you have in your oh, cupboard? Oh, goodness. In your wardrobe? I, I, I was preparing for this, for this podcast. I think I've, Nancy, in my um, dressing room, I've got 
40 pairs, about 10 of them I don't wear anymore. So I was going to say 30, but 40 pairs. But I find them, I find it hard to throw them away. I've been um, working my way through and giving a lot to charity. Um, and in fact, I even gave some heels away on stage a couple of times as well. <laughs> which has been really fun. And they wear them back to the concerts. The lady that I gave a pair in the Royal Festival Hall was just right up front. And about a year later, uh, she put her hand up in the middle of the performance. I'm like, oh, someone's got their hand up there. She goes, I'm wearing the shoes. I said, oh, me too. <laughs> but that was, that was lovely. <laughs> Oh, I mean, Tom Jones, eat your heart out. Yes, really. Yes, absolutely. You know, you've got to keep those shoes to give. You know, you've got to keep those ten pairs that you don't wear. I anymore, will. So, I will. And actually, I bought some. I bought some here. Look, I've got. I bought, I bought a handful. Oh, this is my. Oh my uh, these are the ones Jesus. that I always wear on stage. I should have them like this. Stunning. What make are they? So these so these ones actually are River Island. Ah. Would you believe? Are they? Yeah, but they I love that it's got so that cutaway cool. at the front there. Yeah, but, um, really elegant. This is the minimum heel that I will wear, and then you know we play with the colours. But gold heels on stage, I love that they match my saxophones. You see, yeah. Um, so yeah. <laughs> oh my goodness! So, um, you've done a huge amount with children, yes. and you've done CBBs, and you have um, Yolanda Band <laughs> Jam, which I just love that word. It sounds like Band Jam is kind of delicious and donut. It is such that. A good name. <laughs> And you have your own foundation. Um, so tell me more about that. Yeah. So I think for me, I've always had sort of the motto in my mind that I don't want to wait or have to wait till I've got a million bucks in the bank to give back. I feel that as you're on your journey, you should be sharing your experiences, giving back to those on their way up as well. And I find that the reward comes from from feeling great about giving to people, but also you learn so much from others along the way. Um, and so that did spark me to, to start my foundation, um, a lot of workshops that I give. Every time I'm on tour, no matter what country, I'll always go either from nursery all the way through to conservatoire. I'll give workshops on improvisation or share about my story um, just to motivate and inspire, which, which all comes under that. Um, I've also teamed up with the amazing philanthropist James Drake, and we started the Drake Yolanda Award, um, which was more for up-and-coming artists who really believe in their art and believe in their brand, but find it hard to just break through even more. I mean, it's expensive to be an artist. You've got PR to think about. You've got outfits to think about. How do you record the album? Where do booking agents come from and all those things? Um, and so that has been so lovely to be able to do, to give £3,000 to 10 artists just to boost their journey. And um, we're seeing some amazing alumni now just really fulfilling everything that they they went out to to achieve, which is, is wonderful. Um, so, yeah, I think it's important to give back and it's important to make sure that you inspire the next generation. And Yolanda's band jammers helped me to do that as well. Um, just having all those band jammers. We have 90 children in the audience uh, when we film it. And also, you know, the children at home really getting involved. It's, it's a blessing. Fantastic. Okay. So we're coming to a close. So what has been your most memorable wardrobe malfunction? So my most memorable wardrobe malfunction was actually imaginary. <laughs> It was all in my mind, but I didn't realize it. So, um, as you know, I wear heels on stage uh, and that's my sort of can't live without um, item of clothing. I cannot do without the heels. Um, and so when I come off stage, I do treat myself, take the shoes off, 
put some slippers on. I'm talking to the band, speaking through what happened in the first half, what we're going to do in the second half. And I remember this particular day, um, I think probably TMI, but I was also breastfeeding as well. So I had a quick pump in the middle as well, <laughs> you know, as you do, you've got to do that. Um, and so then it's like, oh, you're due back on stage. And so I thought I'd just grabbed my sling, grabbed the saxophones and gone out on stage. Hi, saying hi to the audience and then started into my next song. And I was halfway through my solo and this happens a lot. I'm playing, but I'm thinking about something else, like true mum moments. And uh, I thought, did I change my shoes? Did I put my shoes back on? I think I'm still wearing the slippers. I don't, because the heels for me, it's just so natural and I'm on tiptoes a lot anyway. And I thought, I can't look down. If I look down, the whole saxophone goes down. I have to stop the solo. So I'm going to have to finish the solo give a solo to the pianist and just humbly look down. And if not, I'm going to have to run. And like, this is a good sort of five minute conversation with myself while I'm playing. Luckily, I handed over the solo to the pianist. I was in my heels. I don't remember putting them on, but it would have been a, a very surreal moment if I was wearing the slippers and probably a better end to the story. But yeah, that for me was a wardrobe malfunction because in my mind, it was happening. Yeah, uh, you're <laughs> a freak, what can I say? Exactly. Um, and my darling, given your, um, you know, the fact that you travel so much, yeah. do you have a comfort blanket, something that is always with you? Hmm. I think it's changed a little bit now with children. At first, my comfort blanket was actually a Rubik's Cube. I always travelled with a Rubik's Cube, a three by three one, if I could fit it in my bag. And I always had one on my keyring. I just always loved the Rubik's Cube. But I think now... It would have to be my phone, and that's horrible. I know it's the answer for many people, but my phone and earphones, um, just to, yeah. And I'm usually listening to either podcasts or spoken spoken things. I don't really listen mm. to music when I'm on the move. I like to be stationary when I'm listening to music. Um, but, yeah, probably the phone. Sorry. <laughs> no, but, you know, that's honest. Yeah. I think most people would like to say that, but yes, most people don't. don't. <laughs> so, you know, 10 out of 10 for honesty. Thank you. And Yolanda, let's say you were invited. You, you will. You're, you're going to be awarded some kind of honour by Her Majesty. Thank you. And um, what will you wear? What will that kind of mm. glam birthday suit be? Please, dear God, that's it. Let it not be. Turquoise. <laughs> well, the thing is, I've been drawn more to colour recently, mm-hmm. wearing colours. But black is actually my favourite, and I feel the most sophisticated, and I feel... I feel, I don't know, the most put together when I'm wearing black. And I'm, I'm a huge fan of the LBD, the little black dress. Mm-hmm. So I think it would have to be a very nicely crafted, sort of tailored, but appropriate for the occasion, little black dress. Okay. I think, I think I can, because everybody, see, when they put up their pictures, especially when they go to get the honours, they wear something very colourful and elaborate. And I think I'd like to just be a little bit more, Chic. Yeah, a bit of chic. Yeah, chic. Yeah, Yeah. chic and elegant. Yes. Okay, this is a big question that only requires a small answer, but you might have to think about it. Mm. Who's the most stylish person you've played with? Oh, my. My hesitancy doesn't mean that nobody's got good style, by the way. I'm just trying to be be the best. Um, uh, There's a beautiful singer called Shingi Shiniwa, and um, she has amazing style very flamboyant I don't know if I could carry everything off um but she joined me on stage for one of my concerts and I remember us being in sound check and I was just thinking oh gosh she looks amazing you know this, this is great and then obviously I don't get to see them I'm already on stage and they're getting dressed and then she came on stage and she just looks 
even more amazing. It sort of took my breath away for a moment. So I think she's very well, um, very well styled and has her own um, style. But I think artists, even ones I haven't performed with, Janelle Monet, Janelle Monet's yeah. style for me is something that I, I love and suits her so well. And um, I do look into her fashion sense as a lookbook sometimes. Mm, yeah, I, it, I can see that. You can that see that. Makes total sense. <laughs> well, Yolanda, um, uh, you're you're just as fabulous oh. as I knew you were going to be, and um, I hope one day I come and get to see you play. And, and a big hug too. Hopefully by then we'll be able to hug. <laughs> but you really good luck with everything. Oh, and, thank you. Know, you you deserve all the success. Oh. and yeah, thank you so much for taking the time. No, it's been an honour to chat to you. Thank you so much for everything, Susanna. Ah, oh, thank you, Yolanda. What a smart and joyful woman. Her latest album, Yolanda's Band Jam, is out now. Right, before we go, a little bit of housekeeping. Remember, you can always drop us a line by emailing us at help at mywardmail.com. You can find our house band duo at duoguitarmusic.com or at duoguitarmusic on their socials. And you can find us at mywardmail.com. Follow us at mywardmail and rate and review us on your chosen podcast platform. And also, please subscribe if you haven't already. Then you'll never miss out on another episode. That's it. Thanks so much again to Yolanda, to Duo, and of course, thanks to you for listening. Catch up soon. Until then, you know what I'm going to say next. My wardrobe is officially closed. up what was that boring no flavor that was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week kiki palmer here and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free hello fresh jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. now that's music to my mouth hello fresh let's get this dinner party started discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com 